Well, good morning, Gateway family. Good to see you on this beautiful morning. First of all, we have a special birthday this week. Mr. Ray turned 93 this week, right? So happy birthday to you, Mr. Ray. We love you. We're grateful. And it's just always a joy to us. You see a lot of smiles on faces around this room when you're able to be back with us. And so happy 93rd birthday today. We're grateful for you. Well, we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of John. We're back in John 11 this morning as we pick up where we left off last week. As we begin this morning, I want to ask us a question. Have you ever asked the what if questions? The what if questions in life. What if I moved to that city? What if I go into that school instead? What if, if I had gone to the doctor? What if I had not gone to the doctor? What if I had not met my spouse? What if I had said something different? What if I kept my mouth shut and not, shut and not said what I was actually thinking at that time? You know, our life is full of what-if questions. And often those what-if questions come in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the difficulties, when life does not go quite as expected. And as we saw last week, friends, there will be storms, and there will be trials, and there will be plenty of opportunities for the what-if type questions. If you remember last week, we talked about James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, not if you face trials, but when you face trials of many kinds. We will face trials of many kinds in this life. And as we saw in John 11 last week, as we looked at the familiar account of Lazarus getting sick and dying, and what happens with Mary and Martha and calling to Jesus, we saw last week that God loved them so much, he allowed Lazarus to die. God loved them so much he gave them a trial to show his glory to them and to others. And we saw that God loves us so much he gives us trials to show us his glory and to show others his glory through us as well. We remembered last week also what we talked about back in John 6 where Jesus sent his disciples into the storm. It wasn't an accident. He loved them so much he sent them into the storm and yet kept them in his care. And in those settings, in those storms of life, in those trials of life that do come, the what-if questions will certainly come as well. Now, first of all, it's not wrong to ask what-if questions. We can be honest with God. That is what's so refreshing about the Psalms and why I love the Psalms so much. Because you see honesty with the Lord of people going, God, where are you? Why did this happen? What's going on? And so, friends, it's not that what-if questions are wrong. We are able to bring them before God. God knows we're thinking them anyway, so there's no point in hiding them from Him. But my concern is that too often we stop there. We stop on the what-if questions. We get hung up on the what-if questions And in so doing, we take our eyes off of Jesus. And we're going to see today in John chapter 11, it's very possible for someone who loves Jesus and is loved by Jesus to get so caught up in the what-ifs of life, they lose sight of Jesus himself. And so I want to begin with this question for us to consider this morning. Are we focused on the what-ifs or on the Lord? Are we focused on the what-ifs of life or are we focused on the Lord? In the midst of real questions like, what if God had just healed my friend? What if God had just healed my family member? What if God had given me that job I wanted? What if God had stopped that person from hurting me? And a million other possible what-if questions that go through our minds. I'm afraid too often we stop with those and we get focused on those instead of focused on the Lord. We end up being focusing on our circumstances. And friends, if we look to those what-ifs and get hung up on those and don't move beyond them to look at Jesus, our souls start to get dry. We start to get angry, we start to get bitter, we start to doubt, and lots of questions come, and our life ends up being far from what God wants it to be. Or are we looking in the middle of the what-ifs to the Lord, to the one who is sovereign over all, to who in his love gave us the trial, to one who in his love put us into that storm to show us his glory, to bring good, like we saw from Romans 8, 28. Are we focused on the what-ifs, 
around the Lord. So if you get to John chapter 11, I want us to see one thing that helps answer that question this morning. And it's simply this. Our faith grows as we focus on Jesus in the what-if moments of life. Our faith grows as we focus on Jesus in the what-if moments of life. We will have those what-if moments. Those what-if moments don't have to hinder us. Our faith can grow in those if we focus on Jesus. So turn to John chapter 11 if you're not there yet. We're picking up where we left off last week. This is just moments later from where we ended seven days ago. We saw that Lazarus got ill, and we saw those stunning words last week where, where it said that this sickness, this illness will give God glory, that God uses his sickness, gives him the sickness for God's glory. We saw Lazarus die last week. And like I reminded you last week, Mary and Martha don't know that Jesus is even coming. They just sent word and they never heard back. They grieve a very real death of their family member. They see the suffering of this. They grieve for four days, and they do so because he loves them. We saw after four days, Jesus now comes to them, and that is where we continue today. As we start in John chapter 11, we'll start in verse 14 this morning. I want you to look for several things as we read this text. First of all, look for the three what-ifs in this story. There's three different people who ask the what-if questions to Jesus in John chapter 11. Here's a look for the three what-ifs, but I want you to see how Jesus refocuses one of those people beyond the what-ifs to who he is. I want you to see how he does that, and I want you to see how this person's faith grows when Jesus moves them beyond the what-ifs to something much, much bigger and look for that faith. So we come to John chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 14. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We're going to start in John 11:14 and go to... Uh, verse 37. John chapter 11, verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who met him Sorry, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Would you pray with me? Father, once again, we are so thankful for your word. And we pray it week after week. But Father, thank you. You've not left us in the dark. Thank you. You've not hidden yourself from us. But God, you've revealed yourself to us. 
So God, I ask this day for grace to open your word and explain it. I pray that you would let it come alive to us. And Lord, through your word today, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of our hearts that our faith might be strengthened, that we might see you and gaze on you much like Martha did. Lord, our faith might be strengthened in the process. And we ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, what I want you to see from John chapter 11 here is simply this. Our faith grows as we focus on Jesus in the what-if moments of life. Our faith grows as we focus on Jesus in the what-if moments of life. Now, first of all, the context, because there's several significant things in the context that is worth noting here to understand this text and help make sense of it. So go back to verses 17 through 19, because when you see the timing of all this and the location, the significance, and what's happening here. So verse 17 through 19. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So several things we need to note here in the context of what's happening. First of all, Jesus delayed four days going. Why in the world would Jesus wait four days to go? Well, we saw last week he loved them. He waited four days because he was up to something to glorify God and his strength and faith. But there's a good reason for his divine timing here. There's a lot of wisdom in what he did. In the Jewish culture at the time, there was a popular teaching that when a person died, their spirit hovered at the gravesite for three days. The spirit was longing to be reunited. This is, again, more of a cultural blending at the time. But the Jewish people at the time often believed that the spirit would hover for three days around the body, hoping for it to be reunited. And on day four, the spirit would see the decay setting in and would be done with it and would leave. By day four in the Jewish culture, there was no hope of the person coming back to life. Why did Jesus wait four days? Because he was showing what was going to happen was impossible apart from a move of God. There's nothing that could be explained in the culture at that point that, oh, this is just what we expected to happen. The Spirit was still there. No, he waited the four days to make it very clear to everyone there was no hope for Lazarus coming back unless God himself intervenes. We see the wisdom of God in the timing. What about the location? It tells us that he went to Bethany, about two miles off. What's significant about this? Well, Bethany is on the path to Jerusalem. The road Jesus is going to travel coming up from where he was over where John had been doing the baptisms. As he travels back up, he's going to stop about two miles before Jerusalem. This road will dead end into Jerusalem when it gets there. Jesus is setting the stage for his crucifixion coming soon. He is moving towards this. And so even along the way, he's using what's going to happen here with many Jews from Jerusalem coming to set into motion his sovereign plan to bring redemption to mankind. The hour is coming soon for it, and he's putting it all into motion. And then likewise, I want you, or a third here I want you to see in the context, the Jews were there comforting. Why were the Jews comforting? Again, it's easy for us, like I said last week, to look at this and to miss the fact this is real grief. We know Lazarus comes back to life. It's easy for us to gloss over that. They did not know that. They had no idea that Lazarus was going to be raised by Jesus here in just the next day. They didn't know this was coming. And we saw it was a very real grief. And I loved it. One of you found me after church last Sunday and pointed out something that I didn't mention last Sunday. But this grief is even deeper for Mary and Martha. Because think of the culture and the time here. Lazarus was their only source of provision. They were basically, in effect, unmarried ladies who are going to be kind of like widowed here at this point with no hope. There was no life insurance when Lazarus dies. There is no government benefit to help them out at this point. They are now, at this point, hopeless and dependent upon the goodwill of others for their survival. So there's much reason to grieve in their heart, not only the loss of their brother, but they have no means to provide for themselves anymore in that culture at the time. And so there's a very real grief, and others had come to comfort them in this trial. And for such a trial provides many opportunities to ask the what-if questions like we were already talking about earlier. I want you to see these what-if questions in this text here. The first one comes from Martha herself. Look at verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated 
in the house. Now, stop there with, real quick on this before we go on. Why did Martha come and not Mary? Well, there's a little bit of speculation on this. But if you remember back from Luke 10, the account of Mary and Martha, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's busy doing the housework, right, getting ready to, for Jesus to be there. And Martha gets pretty ticked off at Mary because, Lord, she's just sitting there. She's not helping make her work. Well, it's easy to kind of judge Martha in that moment, but the reality is Martha apparently had a gift of hospitality. Martha had a gift for understanding welcoming people. And so it's no surprise here that she's the one who's the hard worker who runs out when Jesus arrives in this. But when she arrives and meets Jesus, look at what she says in verses 21 and 22, the first what-if question. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Well, scholars debate her heart motive here. Some say she's complaining here. Some say she's showing great faith. Some say she's trying to put Jesus in a box saying he can only do things based on locations. Friends, we don't know what was behind Martha's heart question here. We can't know someone's heart. Only God knows what's happening in her heart. But we can know what she asked. And she asked a very real, very honest question. And that is, Lord, what if you had chosen to do it differently? God, you're over all. What if you had done it differently? What if you had come and healed him? Again, we don't know what her motivation was for doing it, but she asked an honest question. Lord, what if you had done it differently? And in verse 22, she asked another question. Lord, what if you choose to change it now? What if you want to do it differently? So, Lord, what if you did it differently? Lord, what if you choose to do it differently now? It's a what-if question in life. The second what-if question comes from Mary, down in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? Exact same thing that Martha just asked a little while earlier. I could only imagine that they phrased it the exact same way because they've probably been asking that question at home for the four days since this had happened. And now when they come to Jesus, they ask him the very thing that's been burdening on their heart, the what if question, Lord, what if this had been done differently? But the third what if comes from the Jewish crowd, this crowd that has come from Jerusalem to grieve and to comfort. Remember, they're coming from Jerusalem. It's where Jesus has done all these miracles. They've seen Jesus give sight to blind people. They've seen lame people get up and walk. They've seen Jesus do all of these miracles. And now they show up and look at what they say in verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They also asked the what if. He's done it before. Why didn't he do it now? What if he had chosen to do it here? Why not? Friends, these are natural questions. And in each of these what if moments... There's opportunities for faith to grow. And our focus on that particularly is Martha this morning because Martha is the one who is highlighted for us of her faith growing as she focuses on Jesus in the what-if moments of her life here. Look at Martha's faith. Look at what happens. You can look at her comments to Jesus. Let's start there back in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So what does Jesus say in response Does he rebuke her? Martha, you shouldn't ask what ifs. I'm sovereign, you're not, get over it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't correct her. He doesn't rebuke her in that. Does he tell her to stop asking what if? No. How does Jesus respond to her what if questions? There's no rebuke. There's a gentle answer to her. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What is Jesus doing if she's asking the what if questions? He's turning her focus off of the past, off of the what ifs, to the future, to the what will be. She's dwelling in the past She's dwelling in what if life had been differently. And Jesus is saying, Martha, let me turn your gaze. Look to the future. Look to the what will be here. Again, look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha gets it. Look at verse 24 here. She doesn't complain. 
Jesus, that's not what I'm asking for right now. I just, why didn't you do it differently? She doesn't go back to her question. She doesn't say, I didn't want it to be this way. I don't understand. When Jesus says he will rise again, when he turns her focus to the future, to eternity, look at what she says to him. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She gets it. She begins to understand. She's turning her focus as Jesus is working off of the past, the what ifs, to, okay, I can affirm this. This is true. This is revealed in Scripture. This is what God is doing. She's getting an eternal perspective here and turning her focus from the past what ifs to what the future will be. But Jesus takes her deeper than that. He doesn't even just take her to that point. He takes her to something much greater than that. He takes her from the, looking at the past, the what ifs, not just to the future, what will be, but to the now, to who Jesus is now. And he turns her focus to the present of who is standing right there before her and what difference that makes. Look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He totally transforms her understanding of the resurrection. He does not just say, I can give you life. I can give you resurrection. He says, I am life. I am the resurrection here. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Think back to John 6. I know it was a while back. Jesus doesn't say, I just give you bread from heaven. He says, I am the bread from heaven. He's the gift and he's the giver at the same time. In much the same way here, he's giving resurrection and life, but he is the resurrection and the life. He is offering Martha not just future hope. He is offering her eternal life right now. So notice what he's doing. He takes her eyes off the what ifs to future, and then he pulls her back now to who he is presently at this point. He's offering himself the eternal life that only he can give. Eternal life means we don't, won't die one day. Not physical death, but it means our physical death is not ultimate. Our physical death is just a doorway to eternal life forever where there's no more pain and no more suffering. But like we've seen throughout John over and over and over, eternal life is not just a future tense thing. It is that, but it's present reality right now and right here. And in the midst of the what-if questions, what's Jesus doing? He's focusing on the future eternal life and the eternal life that is offered to her right then and right there. And what is required of her in this? Not striving. She's not required to understand the trials. She's not required to have answers for why God let this happen, have all of her questions answered. All that's required of her is faith, is belief. And we see that here in the text. Look at verse 26 again. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The word believe, as we've seen throughout John, is a personal trust. It's not just intellectual. It's a trust that changes us so much so in verse 26. Jesus equates living and believing in him. They're one and the same. If we believe, it changes how we live. Everything is interconnected here. A true belief changes us. And how does Martha respond? We've already seen her go from the, all the what-if questions to going, okay, I know he'll rise again. Now Jesus says, but Martha, there's something bigger, there's something greater. And that I'm standing before you and I have eternal life right now for you. What does Martha do with this? Well, look at verse 27, and this is absolutely amazing because she fixes her eyes on Jesus, and this is an incredible statement of faith from someone who two minutes before was hung up in the what-ifs of life. Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Friends, where are the what-if questions now? They faded. Why have they faded? Because she sees the glory of Jesus. She's looking at the resurrection of the life face to face. She's seeing Jesus for who he is, and everything changes in her perspective. And she makes one of the most profound confessions anywhere in Scripture at this point, which raises the question, when we think of Martha, what do we think about? 
Jesus, why isn't my sister working? Why do we remember Martha's complaint more than her confession? Because this is amazing faith. This is stunning what she confesses to the Lord. Again, look, verse 27. Two minutes ago, again, she was saying, Lord, what if? And now she's saying, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She says, I, the word I in the Greek is emphatic, it's stressed. She's almost shouting, yes, me, me, I believe, yes, me, I'm the one who believes now. The word believe here is a tense in the Greek that means it's ongoing results. She's saying, I believe and I will continue to believe. I won't waver. My faith is settled. My faith will remain. I'm changed, is what she's saying here. Was it a faith of her own imagination? Is it a faith of, well, I think things are going to be okay. Thanks for patting me on the back and helping me know it's all going to be okay. No. It's a very specific faith. It's a very specific faith that has turned her from getting hung up in the what-ifs and getting her even beyond just the future hope, but to a faith right now in the Christ standing before her. Look at what she says about Christ and her declarations of what she is believing. She says, I believe that you are the Christ. This is not, as you know, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his family name. Christ is a title. Christ is a title that means the Messiah, the Lord. He's the one who was the promised one who would come to rescue his people. She's saying, I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the one who has come to rescue your people. But she doesn't stop there. She says, I believe you're the Christ. You are the Son of God. She believes he's divine, that he is God. He's not just a good moral teacher, not just a kind man who welcomed their family, but he is God. She's affirming his absolute divinity as God come in human flesh. And then she goes on, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God, who is coming into the world? She's saying, I believe you're the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the one to come. And we could spend weeks on that, but this goes all the way back to Genesis 3, the one was coming who would crush the enemy's head. That's Christ. This goes back to Genesis 22, to when Abram has promised that, out of all, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And she's saying, I believe all those prophecies are fulfilled in you, Jesus. It's an amazing declaration. And friends, someone who can confess, Lord, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God, you are coming into the world, is not someone who's hung up on the what-ifs anymore. That's not someone who's weak in her faith. This is not someone now who's too busy to sit at the feet of Jesus because the house has to be perfect. This is now one of incredible faith whose faith has grown in the trial when Jesus in his kindness turns her from the what-ifs to who he is standing there before her. But does everyone's faith grow like Martha's? And the answer is, no, it doesn't. Friends, trials do not automatically produce great faith. Trials do not automatically produce great faith. That's why last week at the end of the message, I challenge you, don't waste our trials. Because trials can be wasted. Trials don't automatically generate faith in us. And not everyone here who sees all this happening has these what-if moments turn to glory moments here. Look at verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So all we know, there's a group of Jews here, and some of them are questioning. They're asking the what-ifs. Do all of them believe? Well, some do, some don't. Look down at verses 45 and 46. We're going to go deeper in this text next week. But verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So, yes, for some, this trial did generate faith. But look at verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. There's some who in the midst of this get ticked off at what Jesus did and their hearts get further hardened in the midst of this suffering and they go and they turn Jesus over, setting into motion what God had destined to happen. Why do some people have faith grow and why do some not? Friends, the same question holds true today. 
in the midst of the trials, why do some people get hung up on the what-ifs and never move past that? They get hung up on why did God let this happen and why isn't life working like I want it to work? And their hearts grow hard. They get angry. They get bitter. They are full of doubt and fear. Yet other people who go through the same trial or even worse trials all of a sudden run to Jesus, fall at his feet like Mary, grab his feet and worship, and their faith grows exponentially. What is the difference on that? And it should be no surprise to us because it's the key word of the whole book. The difference is whether or not we believe. Look back at verse 26 here, because Jesus himself mentions it. It says, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha's at a crossroads. Jesus is saying, okay, you're asking the what ifs. These are legitimate questions. We can bring everything before God. But now I've told you who I am. I've turned your focus not just to eternity, but to now that the Messiah is standing before you. What are you going to do with this? Will you believe Martha? And she's at a crossroads. She can now either decide to focus on Jesus and who he's calling her to believe in and what he's doing, or she can dwell in the what-ifs and never move on. And friends, often in our lives, you and I are at these same crossroads. We're at a place to where life isn't making sense. We're going through trials. We're going through difficulties. We're in the storms of life, and we're asking legitimate questions. Lord, Lord, what if it had been different? And Jesus is telling us, like he told Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. You can live now. You can have eternal life forever and eternal life right now. Will you look to me? Do you believe this and we get confronted with the same question are we going to focus on the what ifs are we going to focus on the lord and friends my encouragement to you is if you're at a place right now to where you're hung up on the what ifs because over this year i've been here as your pastor life is tough for a lot of you i've listened and we've talked and we prayed as you're dealing with all sorts of trials in life across the body there's so many trials so many storms people are going through right now And if you're at a place to where you're in the midst of those trials and those storms and the what-if questions have been bogging you down and you're having trouble seeing Jesus in the midst of the what-if questions, I've got good news for you. By God's grace, you can see a transformation like Martha saw. In the middle of the what-ifs, you can look to Jesus and you don't have to stay where you are. Again, it's not wrong to ask those what-if questions, but God's got something bigger for you than just the the staying stuck in the what-ifs and the doubts. God wants to do more in your life in that. And you don't have to stay where you are. Like Martha, by God's grace, you can turn your focus to eternity and realize there's something much bigger than these 70 or 80 years of life that can be so hard. That there is trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years. That doesn't even start to scratch the beginning of eternity for us. Of no more suffering, no more pain. Of seeing Jesus face to face, worshiping him, resurrection bodies, and all that goes with that. We can focus on that, but as glorious as that is, he's saying you don't have to wait till then. In the midst of the what-ifs, I'm standing here before you now. You have my presence now. And so we can focus on Jesus now. Friends, how do we do that? How do we experience today Jesus is the resurrection and the life if you're in a place right now to where you're stuck in the what-ifs? Two things I want to encourage you with. It's going to sound really simple. It's going to sound almost like our, our really elementary school Sunday school answers, but it's what we need, right? How do we focus on Jesus in the, when we're in this what-if moments of life? The Word of God. Friends, it's simple, but there's no substitute for it. So often we sit around waiting for some impression, some direction from the Lord. He's given us what we need right here. He's spoken to us what he's speaking to Martha. We don't have to have a dream from the Lord to hear Jesus say to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's not just Jesus talking to Martha. That's him talking to you and me as well, friends. He's given us what we need. And so, friends, if you're at a place where you're getting hung up in the what-ifs of life, where do you go? Go back to the Word of God. If you're like, well, I don't know where to start, let me give you somewhere to start. Go to 1 Peter. 
The book of 1 Peter is short. You can read it this week easily. One chapter a day, okay? 1 Peter was written to Christians who are suffering to help focus their mind on eternity. If you're like, I don't even know where to start reading, Grady. I'm stuck in the what-ifs. Life doesn't make sense. Go read 1 Peter this week. Take a few, cha- take a few passages per day. And over the course of the next seven days, you can read all that and, and ask the Spirit of God as you do that to open your mind to the glories of Christ and to see Him for who He is and the hope that you have. So you need the Word of God. But there's a second thing you need. I think what we've been talking about for about the last five or six weeks, you need community. If you want to get out of the, being stuck in the, the what-ifs of life and your faith stagnating in that, friends, you've got to have the Word of God. You've got to have prayer. But you've got to have the body of Christ come alongside you. If you want to get out of the what-ifs, you're not going to probably get out on your own because one of God's grace gifts to us is one another. And so if you're at a place where you're hung up in the what-ifs of life, will you get brave enough this week to pick up the phone and call a brother or sister in this room and say to them, you know, I'm really struggling in my faith right now. Life doesn't make sense. I am breaking under the weight of these storms I'm in. Would you, let's get together and go to Starbucks or Panera. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. Let's get a cup of coffee. Can we talk and pray? I just need someone to encourage me. Would you get brave enough to make that phone call this week and get someone in the community to come alongside you? God didn't intend for you to carry the what-if burdens alone. He's given you the grace gift of his word. He's given you the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he's given you brothers and sisters to walk this journey with you. And friends, my prayer for us as a body, because we're going to have the what-if questions, we're going to have the difficulties, we're in the trials and storms of life. Our prayer for us in the midst of those trials and storms, we will hear Jesus saying to us as well, your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Friends, my prayer is as the word of God and the spirit of God and in Christian community transforms us and changes us, Our prayer is that our faith, like Martha's, will grow. That God will give us grace to focus on him so our faith springs up and grows as well to be who God desires us to be, even if it's in a part of life, in a season of life, that does not make sense. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that you are sovereign, that you are ruling over all. God, that you are on your throne. And Father, I know across this room and across our church body are brothers and sisters who are struggling right now struggling in their marriages, struggling with their kids, struggling in their finances, struggling in, with temptation that seems to be overwhelming them, struggling in broken relationships, struggling in so many ways. Where I know in the midst of those storms, in the midst of those trials, in the midst of that suffering, throughout this room there's what-if questions in many people's minds. God, I'm thankful, first of all, that we can be honest with you of where we are. God, it's so refreshing to see King David's prayers to you and his honesty before you. And Lord, I pray that we would never feel a pressure to hide from you what we're feeling. Because, Lord, we can't. You already know it's there. So, Lord, I pray you might even free us from the feeling like we have to perform for you. But, Lord, we can be honest before you. Lord, I'm thankful, like with Martha, your heart is not to leave us where we are. Your heart is not to leave us stuck in our what-ifs. Lord, you never promised we'll understand it all. But, God, you've promised us that you are on your throne. And like we saw last week, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So Lord, I pray this day for my brothers and sisters here who are really struggling, whose hearts are heavy, who are with all these questions that can hurt in the middle of life. God, would you today fill their hearts with hope? Not a generic humanistic hope of it's going to be okay, but a hope that Lord Jesus, you are on your throne and you are working in their lives. And Lord, I pray for all of us in our gateway family, God, that you would turn our eyes to you 
that just as you called to Martha and you called for Mary, just as you were revealing yourself to them, God, would you through your word and your Holy Spirit reveal yourself to us, God, that we might better know you and walk with you and make you known. And so, Lord, I don't know what burden each person is carrying, but you do. And God, I pray as we close this service today, Lord, would you speak to their hearts? God, if they're discouraged and down, would you let them right now remember that you are holding them in your hand and no one can snatch them out of your hand. They're at a place right now where you seem far from them. God, I pray they'd remember what it says in Zephaniah, that you rejoice over them with singing. They would know that their God is singing over them right now. They're at a place where it seems like life is not going the direction they want. Would you remind them this day of your word's promise that all things work together for good. God, that you're going to bring glory out of this trial somehow. Or if, there's a pl- if they're at a place of burdens of broken relationships, would you right now give them hope and let- lead them to a place of forgiveness and reconciliation? Lord, I don't know what it is. But God, I don't have to. You do. And you're the one who can create change. You're the one who can make us into who you want us to be. So Lord, I pray this week that you would give us grace upon grace upon grace to answer the question that Martha got asked. Do you believe this? Or would you work in our hearts belief this day that will transform us and change us? Would you take each one of these precious brothers and sisters and myself as well to a place of deeper faith this week? That God, we wouldn't stagnate in our faith. We wouldn't just do things because we're supposed to do them. But God, we do them because we've fallen in love with you. Because like Martha, we have seen you and your beauty and your majesty and your glory. And Lord, we want more of you. God, would you in your grace put that hunger in our hearts for you? That you might receive the glory and we might have the joy in being who you want us to be. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?